to be talking about emotions. And we're going to start off with this little debate that Mark and I have been having. So I'm going to start by sharing my side of the debate and it's surrounding emotions. And I would say that having children is purely an emotional thing. And this is not me against children. I have three kids. I love them. And I would go through everything all over again just to have all three of them. But in this day and age, since birth control became so readily available, there is no rational or logical reason to have children. Okay, but what's the emotion that drives you to having kids? I'm curious about that. Uh, my entire life, I've wanted kids. I mean, you know, most little girls talk about dreaming of their wedding day and being a bride, and I dreamed about being a mom. I freaked my mom out when I was really young because I used to pretend to be pregnant. I would stuff like pillows and dolls and stuff up my shirt, <laughs> and it scared her. <laughs> <laughs> she because... probably, oh yeah, she was probably terrified for your teenage years. <laughs> right? Yeah, that, and that's exactly what it was. She was so worried. But I was three years old, and my favorite story was the story of Mary when she gave birth to Jesus because uh-huh. I just I loved pregnant women. I loved the look of them. I loved the roundness of their bellies, and throughout into adulthood, I carried that. I just, I loved seeing pregnant women and it freaked my mom out. Anyways, so I've always wanted to be a mom and I would say religion has a big part of it uh-huh. for sure. me. And I think that drives probably a lot of people. But I mean, if you really think about it from a rational, logical standpoint, children suck everything out of you. They will take up all of your time, half your money, and you will lose all of your freedom and independence. But it's totally worth it to me. I would do it all again for my okay, kids. What do you get from having children? Like, what's the emotional payback you get? Oh, Joy, happiness. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And don't you get? Don't you get an incredible amount of joy? Absolutely. Yes. And maybe that's why I continue to keep having more kids. And maybe I should say it's illogical and irrational to have more than one kid because most people want at least one. But then after they do it one time, what is the logical or rational reason to go through that again? (laughs) Well, I can give you the logical reason. The the logical reason to have two is it's in the best interest of the first child. It's in the best interest of the first child to give that child a sibling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I Psychologically speaking, anyway. I I can see that. Here's how I differ. See, I I really believe in evolution. I believe that... Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, Charles Darwin, this idea that a lot of our behaviors are based on really the perpetuation of the species, mm-hmm. because I think like any organism, any organism's drive is to reproduce itself. Yes. And so I think that a lot of, I don't know if you felt this, I think my, I think Lindy has talked about how she felt this, that it's hard to describe the desire to have a child. And I think mm-hmm. it's an instinctual thing that we come with in order to keep the species going and so is it an emotional thing I don't I mean I think we get a lot as parents a lot of joy from having Mm -hmm. children but I think if you go back 10,000 years it's definitely about instinct to exactly and and as a species you're right we are designed to want to procreate to procreate and we all have very powerful sexual urges which definitely stems from the need to 
continue the species that that need and that drive to want to have intimate relationships because that's how children are created. But since birth control has become readily available, it's really easy not to get pregnant, you know, oh, to avoid it, pregnancy. That's true. It is. And so I think that, well, it's one of the things that uh, for a lot of reasons fuels more women going out and having affairs. I mean, that's yeah. one of the things mm-hmm. is because they have a lot easier time with the birth control, you know? Yeah. So I think it's instinctual in us to want to procreate. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's about emotion. And I think personally that we get a lot of, I mean, nowadays for most parents, uh, like I know, I, I just get a lot of satisfaction and joy for my kids and uh, my grandkids, especially. Oh, so do I. And I abs- I love being a mom. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and I have been since the birth of my first kid. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. I mean, I am nothing but grateful to Curtis for working as hard as he has throughout our entire marriage to give me the ability to be a stay-at-home mom to raise my kids. But, I mean... It seems completely illogical and irrational <laughs> to ever have a child now that I've been through it. Well, but I would do it again. And it's it, purely emotional. Know, I probably agree that it's illogical and not rational. But you know what? <laughs> a lot of things in our world are illogical and not rational. And you once said that emotions are very rarely are very rational. Are yeah, very they're... rarely <laughs> rational. So, yeah. anyways, that's my debate. And if you ask me, proof is in the pudding because uh-huh, okay. <laughs> as a species, we're no longer procreating enough true. to sustain the population at, at the rate we're going. So Right, but that means that people could still be having one child or two children mm-hmm. and that you would still be in this same problem. I think it's true That's that true. people aren't having as many children yes. as they may have in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, you think about... A hundred years ago, if you were a sexually active married couple, you were going to keep having children. Right. And if you were, you know, if you were on the farm, you actually needed or something like that. You needed the kids to help out. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in the 1800s, that was a big thing is, you know, the more kids you had, the more help you had for whatever industry you were in. But, you know, that's not the case anymore. Anyways, so. Should we talk about emotions? Yes. (laughs) Yes. So let's get into talking about emotions from a mental health standpoint. So let's start with the question, why do we have emotions? What's the point? So this is a fairly common topic in my office. And here's how it typically comes up is you'll have someone come in and they are being emotional about something. They're sad about something. It could be a breakup. And or certainly grief is a strong emotion. And they they hate that. They hate the feeling of being sad. And so they want to solve it and they say, why do I have why can't I just get rid of these emotions? Mm-hmm. And so we have to think about why did we evolve to have the emotions? Mm-hmm. And there are different theories. It's going to be a waste of time to go into all these theories, and I think it would bore our listeners uh, (laughs) a lot. So I'm just going to go with my favorite, which is certainly the one Charles Darwin proposed, is that there's an evolutionary reason to have these emotions because they help in keeping the species going. Mm -hmm. So here's some reasons. I think the main reason is they help us to form bonds. So, and I think I said this to you last week, 
you know, as we were talking before or after our recording, is that I think this holds true, even if you're, say, a spiritual person or a religious person, mm -hmm. and you believe in a God that created you, he, create, he or she created you with these emotions. Mm -hmm. And so you have to wonder, what's the reason for that? There's got to be a reason that either if you believe in evolution or if you believe in creation. And I think the reason is it first and foremost, it helps us to form bonds and it helps us to predict events in the world. And that is really helpful for us and useful for us. Yeah. So emotions, like if we think about fear, so we, you know, fear or happiness, joy, but if you think about fear, fear gets our attention and it typically wants a response yeah. from us. And so, and it can also act as a motivator. So for instance, here's a common fear that people have, the fear of snakes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, I don't know, sociologists, I think more biologists have, you know, talked about what is the reason that many of us, not everyone, but many people have an innate fear of snakes. And they believe it's evolutionary because as you're walking again out in the savannah, you have to be really careful of these things that could kill you. Yeah. And, you know, in some parts of the world, there are snakes that are very, very deadly that you have mm -hmm. to be incredibly careful of. And so, you know, over tens of thousands of years, I think we then get that kind of inborn fear, you know, that emotion of snakes, of these things. And so it it's a motivator and, and it helps us to take action. If you have a fear of heights, mm -hmm. you know, you're standing on the edge of something, you really need to be careful. Yeah. You could easily slip and fall. So fear is a motivator. I think anger, anger gives us, you know, really good information. It tells us be aware of whatever situation you're in. Mm -hmm. And then you may need to take some action. If you're angry about what's someone is saying to you or doing to you, then, you know, that causes you generally to take some action. I mean, isn't that true for you if you get angry at someone? Yeah, it usually does. But I, I try to keep a tight rein on my anger, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, mm -hmm. just because I feel like when it does get out, it, it gets really big. I guess I'm thinking of fear from a physiological standpoint. And when we're in a sense of heightened fear, it triggers our fight or flight response, right. yes. which can be crucial for surviving even today. I mean, when you think about what's going on when your fight or fight response is triggered, I mean, your body will stop all production of everything mm -hmm. else. I mean, it can mm -hmm. stop digestion. You, will, you can yeah. stop in the middle of ovulating. All of these systems that usually work very cohesively in your body stop and it all goes towards triggering adrenaline. You either get an extra boost of speed or strength to mm -hmm. help you overcome. And I think anger, I would imagine that anger would help us in that it gives us passion or a reason to fight. I mean, I, you know, mm -hmm. think about a war and defending yeah. yourself. You need anger. I mean, if someone comes up and they want to do you harm... Right. You know, or they're threatening your family. Exactly. Yeah. If someone is threatening your family, that anger can help trigger a response to protect, protect. yourself. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think the other thing that emotions can give us, because we've talked previously about empathy and how mm -hmm. important empathy is. 
And so empathy is a reminder for our listeners. It's just that ability to put yourself in the other person's emotional space. Mm -hmm. And so what that allows us to do, if we can really relate to how the other person is feeling, then it allows us to act in the other person's, what the other person needs in mind or in the other person's interests and not just our own. And I think that's true within the family group. I think it's true within the larger culture. And that's the basis of society is that really we need to be able to act in each other's best interests. That's how we keep Mm -hmm. going. That's the theory that I think is fits for me anyway, the best is that there are reasons for us to have these emotions and it's about forming bonds that help us to survive. Yeah, absolutely. When you talk about empathy, it makes me think of my response to books and movies, particularly Uh movies. I have a hard time with certain movies. Like a good example is Les Mis Rob. I can't watch that movie. What's hard about it for you? I get so emotionally invested in characters. I put myself in their situation and I feel those emotions and it makes me depressed, whatever that character is going through. Or if there's a lot of, if there's just a lot of like really sadness and sometimes I'm okay, sometimes I'm not. And a lot of it depends too on my emotional state at the time. Like sometimes I can handle stuff like that. I can handle sadder things, you know, like a lot of death or or tragedy. But then there's other times where I'm like, I can't do this right now. This is too much. This makes me feel too heavy and too depressed. And I just want to walk away from it. Right. And we can come back to some of the reasons what that might be. So, but let's go back to Les Miserables because I'm the theme. When I think about that show, it seems like the theme is injustice. Does that fit for you? Probably. I think so. Oh, I mean, the overall arching theme, but I couldn't get to that point. I think we ended up fast forwarding to the end mm-hmm. because, I mean, it was just too much. I, just so much sadness and hurt. So we ended up fast forwarding to the end where justice wins out. Or I, Yeah, yeah but, if you, but if you think about that, that if we have that empathy that allows us to see the injustice in the world, what you're really doing is you're looking out for... I mean, it's that instinct to look out for someone else. Yeah. And I've had that experience myself where movies make me really uncomfortable. Have you ever seen Dr. Zhivago? That's a uh-uh. pretty old one. And so Dr. Zhivago is, it takes place right before the Russian Revolution. But here's the thing that you get to know his family, Dr. Zhivago and his family, his wife. And then he goes off and has an affair. Mm-hmm. And I, I had such a strong reaction to yeah. him going off and having this affair, I think I did have to turn it off, or at least, I, I, anyway, I had a very strong reaction to it. Because, I mean, you can't picture yourself doing something like, how can somebody do that to someone they love? It goes back to that theme of injustice, almost, that it's not fair. Or how, how, how can you make a promise to your wife and then break the promise? Which I often think that in my head when I'm dealing, working with clients who've had affairs I don't say it because I try and have empathy but Mm -hmm. you know that's one of the things that I do wonder about so for me what triggers this response for me is innocence you know is is when I guess injustice happens maybe it is an injustice thing but when something's happening to innocent people right I mean or another thing I really struggle with I have this irrational aversion to death I mean obviously no one likes dying but I can't kill things and I can't watch animals be killed. I understand the cycle of life and I know that that's nature 
And I don't even have a problem with people hunting recreationally. I, that mm-hmm. doesn't, I, it's not like I, you know, I'm anti hunting and anti, I mean, I'm not a vegetarian or anything like that. I have no problem eating meat, but I personally can't watch or be involved in any part of the killing. It goes so far. I won't even kill bugs. If there's a spider in my house and I'm like 95% sure it's not poisonous, I'll just let it go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just let it be. What, or what do you, what do you do if it's a black widow? I make Curtis kill it. <laughs> And it's not even because I'm scared. I'm not, I'm not, and it's, I'm not scared of the spider. I just, I can't kill it because I don't like it dying. And so I trap it under a cup and I tell Curtis. And Curtis he, the executioner, okay. It doesn't bother him, but it, but he knows that it bothers me. And so, you know, and I have, and I've done it before. There was a time where I'm like, Ugh, I this looks like it could be a poisonous spider and Curtis wasn't around and my kids were there. And so I killed it because I absolutely had to. But, you know, if I don't have to, I won't because I just, I don't, I don't like things dying. I mean, what did that bug do wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it goes back to the injustice. Yeah. Invading your space. (laughs) So a lot of people, a lot of couples anyway, they come in and they want to, you know, they're concerned about their kids and how do you teach children yes. about acceptable, I don't know if that's the right word, acceptable emotional uh, expression? Yeah. And so I think uh, I've mentioned before, I'll just mention uh, one more time. I won't go into detail. John Gottman has a really good program or a video that deals with this. Mm-hmm. And it's called a couple of things. And sometimes he calls it the heart of parenting. And in other places, he calls it emotion coaching, which yeah. is probably the way that you'll find it. But if you go to Gottman.com under parenting resources, that's where you'll find this. And essentially, here, here it is in a nutshell, is that in order to help children learn what we might call that appropriate expression of emotions, first, you have to be able to have empathy for them. Mm -hmm. And you have to be able to, like, if your kid is upset, they aren't going to come to you and say, I'm really upset, or I'm really angry, or I'm afraid. We have to teach them what that is yeah, before they can then come and express it. And so if we have empathy, if we're tuned into them, which goes back to attachment, Mm -hmm. which again, I think we've talked about, that we can say, you know, to your little child, little child, it seems like you're afraid right now. And you can let, you know, and let them respond to that. Once you throw it out there, mm-hmm. then it either sticks or it doesn't stick. Right. But at least uh, the first thing he says it's really important for us as parents to do is to label the emotion, the emotion. Mm-hmm. to label it, to give them a vocabulary in which to describe whatever it is they're feeling. And then you know, you can have that empathy for the the emotion. Yes, you know, I understand you're afraid. And then you can talk about acceptable behavior. So if we switch the example to say siblings who are angry at each other and they want to mm-hmm. you know, beat on each other, right? Which is yep. pretty common. You know, you can say, I get it. You're angry. And yes, you know, here here's what happened. It's not okay to hit. And uh-huh. here, let's talk about other things that you can do. And so I think that's the way we can help our children, one, to be aware of their emotions, to be able to express them articulately, and then two, to have reasonable responses to them. And I think one important step in that is 
talking about your own emotions, Mm -hmm. which as adults is very hard to do. But I think it's important to tell your kids how you're feeling. There's been times where I've told my kids, that's too much. That's overwhelming. Or I'm feeling really frustrated right now. I need you to back off and give me some space. Or that's too loud and it's bothering me right now. Or even just saying, I feel really sad right now. I think just talking about emotions and explaining to kids your own emotions, it can help them not only to develop empathy, but to be able to understand their own emotions. Yeah, I agree that sometimes parents are reluctant Mm -hmm. to be emotional in front of their kids. And I think that's a big mistake because how else do they learn and how else do they learn the appropriate expression? of those emotions. I mean, that's, that's our job is to teach Mm -hmm. them that. So I agree with you. The emotions, people call them the bad emotions, like being sad or angry. It's okay to say, I'm feeling sad right now. And here's the reason I'm feeling sad right now. And you can even say, here's what I think I'll do about it, you know, and whatever it is. So you can help the child learn that just because you're experiencing emotion doesn't mean it has to take over your life and Mm -hmm. that you still have some element of control and that you can take some sort of action typically. So I think this is common with children when they, when it feels like they're out of control. And I think you mentioned a few minutes ago that sometimes you just, you know, you don't want to handle an emotion in the moment. I think being tired is probably maybe the main thing, both for kids and adults that makes it difficult for us to, maybe tolerate an emotion that, you know, if we weren't tired, it'd be fine. We'd be doing fine to experience that emotion. But if we're tired, the other one, if we're hungry, I think that there's a popular word called hangry, which yes. is like, that's, that's, a, that's a, a combination that's a word. of <laughs> hungry and angry, hungry yeah. and angry. Um, I one of my grandkids certainly has that. We have to make sure the youngest, we have to make sure that he doesn't go too long. Uh, without eating and we always have to get him you have to force him to come up and eat something otherwise it can fall apart very very quickly because there are some people who are hypoglycemic is what we call that and they need to learn how to you know live with that what do you do how do you take care of yourself what's the Mm self-care and if you're that's necessary for that if you're going to be in an emotionally difficult situation probably you need good sleep it's going to be much worse if you don't get the sleep you need, if you're tired, if you're hungry, if you're thirsty. So there are things that make it difficult, more difficult for us to tolerate emotion. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think it's also important to, to recognize that, or to be able to say to yourself, I recognize that I'm tired and I'm not handling this right. And that can be very, very hard to do in the moment. And I am guilty all the time of overreacting to something and then coming back and saying, oh, I was tired or that was an overreaction and being able to label it. But even if you're doing it after the fact, I think it's still important to recognize that and label what's causing you to not handle this situation well. I think that is very important for us to be able to do. I think that one, it shows that you're taking responsibility for your own mm-hmm. behavior and your own emotional experience. Again, with children or even with significant others or anyone else, I, th- I think it's fine to say, you know what, I did overreact to that. 
And I think people really appreciate it. I think children really appreciate it. And it teaches them a valuable lesson of, yeah, you know what? Sometimes mom and dad can overreact, but they can actually acknowledge it mm-hmm. and then do some sort of repair around it. And yeah. so those are really good lessons. I think the mistake, and I, I see people all the time who grow up in families, it's not okay to express emotions. That's a huge mm-hmm. mistake. And it causes lifelong problems because then the next step is usually those adults want to enter into an intimate relationship. Again, it's one of those things that if we go back to Darwin that we're drawn to, right? We want to enter into that relationship, I think primarily so we can procreate, but also because that's, you know, together we're stronger than we are separate. Yeah. And so I see couples all the time where one, rarely both, but at least one, has trouble with emotional expression. Often it's the male, mm-hmm. not always, but often. And so I'm often working with how do you get that healthy expression or how do you even turn that on? Because I think we have it. I think it, well, as we've been talking about, it's a learned behavior mm-hmm. to be able to be introspective enough to know what you're feeling and then be able to share it. So here are the things, the three things that I think you need to have a strong emotional connection because for most of the couples that I see at some point, most likely they're going to say, we would like a stronger emotional connection. Mm -hmm. And so the three things that you need are you have to be self-aware enough to know what your internal emotional state is. And interestingly, I think most of us are, it's very rare that you'll find someone who actually doesn't know what they're feeling. The more common situation is I know what I'm feeling. I'm just not going to say it out loud. And I think it can be hard too, for people to describe it. I mean, I think that they, they understand that they're having some sort of maybe happy emotion or a negative emotion, but they can't find the words because maybe in the moment, happy, I'm feeling happy doesn't feel right. Or you know, maybe you can be feeling in love with someone and that can be hard just because it can be vulnerable to say, I love you to someone. But for example, if you're in a really committed relationship and you're in a long-term committed relationship and you know, you've both expressed love. I think sometimes when you're feeling happiness, maybe you just don't have the right word to express I'm happy because I'm feeling in love with you right now, maybe because of something you're doing or something we're doing together. But I think it can just be hard for people to explain the state of it. They just, they don't know how because they don't have the right words for it. You're right. You're absolutely right. Because that's the third step. The third step, Mm -hmm. I'll jump to that, is you have to have a vocabulary in which to describe it. And for a lot of us, we don't have an adequate vocabulary to describe our emotions. The second step, you know, after you're self-aware is that you have a desire to share it with an intimate partner. And again, I found that most people want to do that. They just don't know how to do it. And I think the primary stumbling block to that is what you just said is that they don't have the vocabulary. So I have this list that's got, I don't know how many, it's got at least a couple of hundred emotion words. And it's really helpful for people because if you look at this list, you're going to find words that you've never thought of before Mm -hmm. that then can describe your internal state. I've had people of individuals and or couples, you know, they, I say, okay, look over this list and pick out some 
that really fit. And once they start going, they're able to pick out two or three. And they're words that they would have never used. Okay. They're words that would have never come up, you know, spontaneously in their mind, but they're words that fit. Mm-hmm. So I think if we, it's almost like being emotionally literate. We we need to be a little bit more emotionally literate. And I don't know that we do a good job in our culture teaching people or teaching children how to be emotionally literate. So it just goes back to our job as parents mm-hmm. to you know help our kids to be emotionally literate. I consider myself fairly emotionally aware, but I know there's times where I've had to step back and say, okay, why is this creating this reaction? Because emotions will create a reaction. Right. And sometimes the reaction is good and sometimes the reaction is bad. I think we want to know why we're having this reaction. Why am I reacting this way? And I think that's the emotion is what's creating it. And it can be hard to define why we're reacting this way because it's not always obvious. I mean, if I walked up, walk up to you and I slap you in the face, you're going to be angry and it's going to be really obvious why, right? Right. But if I come up to you and I say something and you don't like what I said, or I said it in a way that puts you off, then you don't maybe necessarily, you don't know how to label the emotion that's making you feel. You just know that you don't like it and it makes you mad. And that's going to create friction in any relationship. Right. And so one of the things that you you get in talk therapy is to actually be able to go through that process where you can get a better understanding of, okay, what happened that then caused this emotion to come up. But I know in past episodes, I've talked about that communication uh, style that I try and teach couples where you listen and understand, you have that validation and empathy. And so if you have a partner where you can do that well, then actually doing that with each other leads often to that self-awareness that says, oh, this is what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, because you have someone who's helping you, who's asking some questions just to help you get to look at it possibly in a different way. And often it will come to you and you think, okay, now it makes sense. Yeah. So just having someone that you can talk it through with right. is often all that's needed for you to make sense. Because sometimes we get stuck in our own head and it's really hard stuck in our own, you know, dialogue that's going on internally. Mm -hmm. And it's hard for us to sort things out when that extra person who's sitting there listening and, and hearing us is really helpful. Yeah. I had an experience like that with Curtis recently. So he said, you know, lately I've just kind of been in a funk Mm -hmm. and my first reaction that I very wisely held back was, yeah, I know. I I don't know if that qualifies as good validation. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right, Curtis. You're in the phone. (laughs) That was, yeah, but that was my first thought was, yeah, I've noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, so that's what I actually said was, oh, yeah. So I invited him to tell me more Uh about it. And he said, yeah, maybe it's just this head cold, but I've just just kind of been in this mood. And and he went on to further describe his emotional state. And I said, yeah, you know, that totally makes sense. And you also have to consider X, Y, Z, all these other factors that mm-hmm. were going on in his life. I mean, he recently started a new job. He hasn't been sleeping well because of that. And then all of these extra factors. And I said, yeah, I can totally understand 
why you're feeling that way. And I don't know that we ever got to even, as you would call it, resolution, but I was able to help him understand and process the emotions that he had been feeling and I was able to validate them. Right. And I think that's a, can be really important and helpful in a relationship. It is. It is. It's well, see, to me, that is what you just described. That is emotional intimacy. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of couples want, but yeah. a lot of couples have difficulty getting there mm -hmm. because <laughs> I actually hear this in session. Someone may say, yeah, no joke. You are. Uh -huh. in a <laughs> and they let that yeah. first thought come out. Uh -huh. And I, and I know, I know I've said this before, Good relationships have a lot of self-censorship. Yes, they do. We, we, we don't get to say everything that comes into our mind. There's no reason to. And so that example that you gave is the perfect example for what emotional intimacy looks like mm -hmm. in a couple. And it's so obviously his part is he's throwing it out there. I'm yeah. in a funk. And you invited, you know, the dialogue and he's willing to talk about it. Yeah. So he fits those three things. I mean, the thing that you may be missing is that vocabulary, which is hard, you know, having a vocabulary to describe it. Mm -hmm. But um, certainly he's self-aware and desire to share it. So Yeah. And I tell you what, if I had said, yeah, I know, <laughs> if I had <laughs> actually said that, it would have instantly cut off. Well, he probably would have been defensive. Yeah, exactly. He would have immediately jumped to defense and that's not going to help. I mean, you know, it would have been a complete missed opportunity there. Like you said, that censorship. And I think another thing that it's going to be important to realize in having good emotional intimacy is to recognize that you're not always going to be able to label your emotions in the moment. When you're right. feeling those emotions, it's really, really hard to label them and understand them. And that's where I think a lot of problems occur is because in the moment it's hard. So mm -hmm. I think you just need to understand that. And that's where empathy and giving people grace and forgiveness comes in because hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. Another issue, you know, maybe one of the final things we can talk about tonight is that I get a lot of people in my office who for years have been trying to suppress their emotions and they mm -hmm. think that's the right way to to be and often it's again i don't want to make generalizations but it kind of fits often it's men because they've learned that that's what they need to do and wow. that i think is a huge mistake because you know you can't just stuff it away and yeah. think it's going to go away it's always there and if you do that too much it leaks out in other ways mm -hmm. and so the way i see it often in couples is one person might be frustrated or even angry with the other person. They don't deal with it. And so they're holding all this in. And three months later, something tiny comes up and it just, boom, it explodes all out. It yeah. leaks out all over the place. And so it's important to realize that if you can get out and express the emotion more in the moment mm -hmm. and not let it build up to where it's really big, yeah. It's much easier to hear and to listen to. And it's much easier for both of you to tolerate the expression of the emotion. And I see it all the time where, you know, someone might be angry or frustrated and they hold it in, hold it in, hold it in, and then boom, it comes out. And that's mm -hmm. really hard. That's, that is what destroys relationships. <laughs> it, 
Right. And when the emotions do start to get big, I think it's also very important to be aware that, okay, our emotions are getting really big. We're getting loud. We're getting really frustrated. And to recognize this conversation has officially lost all productivity. Let's take a step back, put right. a pin in this. Take and, a time out. Yes. Take a time out. That is absolutely 100% okay to do. So next week, we are going to get into a good topic of setting boundaries. And we're going to talk specifically about setting boundaries around the holidays with those coming up because... Holidays are here already after Halloween. <laughs> they are. Yeah, they are. They are fast approaching. And holidays can be wonderful and bring people together, but they can also be incredibly stressful and hard. And I would imagine that the majority of that has to do with proper boundaries not being put in place. So absolutely right. Yeah. So we're, we're going to talk about that, break that down, maybe talk about some ways we can set healthy boundaries. We'll give you some good tips and some good advice and we will see you all next.